Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Football Outside the Box podcast, where we discuss the past, present, and the future of football. Well, I mean, where do we even start? You know, this weekend, one result really stands out. Chelsea got thrashed by Brentford. I, I know we didn't even discuss the Chelsea-Brentford game in the preview, but does this really open the, the top four spot up to even possibly the third spot, maybe, that Chelsea are occupying right now? What do you think, Noah? I think it's up for grabs. We're within touching distance of Chelsea right now. And it shows as well that teams can sip up at any point up against any opposition. I don't think anybody was expecting Brentford to come to Stamford Bridge and score four. That's impressive. And they were playing some good football with it. The goals were not just were scruffy goals. They were they were actually well worked. Yeah. Yeah, if we do, we have to remember last season as well. Chelsea got thrashed by West Brom, five two, I think it was, after the March international break. So, it seems to be a trend. <laughs> I, I don't know if it is, but and it was just odd, right? Rudiger scores a, a screamer, and then within minutes uh, they get pegged back. Not not just pegged back, but they get. The game turned around two one. The second goal was just so poor to concede. Why is why are both the center backs and the fullbacks getting pulled to Ivan Tony? You know, just poor communication left Ericsson wide open. Yeah, I also want to give credit to Embuemo, or however you actually pronounce it. <laughs> um, but he he really took the game and and he he stepped up. He had uh, two assists right there, and he had a key pass as well to go along with the Ericsson goal, I think it was. Yeah, sorry, Mbwemo, not Tony. That dragged the two defenders out. Yeah. yeah. So he, I mean, this is not the first time that he stepped up for Brentford. He's been a key player for them the whole season. And I'm really impressed by him just for, just for who he is and what he's doing for his team. I think that is... Uh, we'll have to give him props. He's an excellent player for them. And I think Ivan Tony is the one who really gets all the shine and the the credit. Everybody hypes him up. He's the big name player for them. But what this guy, Embuemo, he's doing so much for, for the team. And I think he deserves... I'm sure he gets a lot more credit from the actual Brentford fans. Um, so if you're a Brentford fan, let us know in the comments as well. What do you think of Embuemo? Who do you think is your guy's most most vital player? Well, I think it's because he's English, right? Ivan Tony. Um, I think this is one of the games that, you know, where if you if they really play, play to their strength, Tony and Buemo up top, the two strikers, both very strong, but also fast as well. I think Thiago Silva and Rudiger both struggled, which is which is a rarity in, in its own. It was just one of those days for Chelsea. Everything seemed to go right for Brentford. Not a lot of things seem to go right for Chelsea. They scored, I think, um, when they were down 3-1. To, um, they scored the second goal, but then it got called offside, I believe. Um, you know, just one of those days for Chelsea. And I would like to add on as well that it's very interesting that for this match, they went with a back four rather than the back five that they normally go with. And we saw how it affected them. They were way too open. 
you could see that the players were were out of sorts, were getting dragged out of position. There was a lack of cover for them. So we know that we had mentioned that Rudiger was a player that had really stood out for us this season for Chelsea. Is he standing out because he's in a system that suits him? Or has he just shown that there's is just a blimp and he has shown the quality? This is just a one-off performance. What do we think? I think it's just a blip. Um, you could say having Thiago Silva has helped him a lot. Um, but, I mean, even in a system, they're, they're not machines. They're all humans. And for Rudiger and both Thiago Silva have to have one of these games, it's not unheard of. I mean, we saw it last year against West Brom again, where Thiago Silva got sent off. It would be very harsh of us to say that Rudiger is just a system defender just based off of this one game. Um, I mean, we know when teams come back from international break, not everyone is up to the same fitness level, uh, especially for Thiago Silva, who's just played for Brazil, came back to England all the way from South America. It's tough. You know, he's 37. And yeah, I think it would be very harsh of us to say Rudiger's or very harsh of us to really kind of disregard all the performances, the, the really good performances that Rudiger has been putting in the past, what, year or so, just based off of this one game. Well, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily us being hard. We're not necessarily discrediting his performances. I think it's more realizing where he's able to stand out and coming to understand that he is he he's very suitable and looks very, very good in a back three. But then when it comes to playing in a back four that he's not he's not so used to, he's not able to shine as much. So it's not it's not saying that we're discrediting him. He's not he's not as good as we as we think he is, but it's more understanding that hey, he's world class, but he's world class in a back three. He he has to have a very specific system and teammates around him to complement his style and his strengths. And I think with that, that that in itself is a is qualities that he has, but we still have to look at what he what is he able to do fully as a player in terms of what 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 skill sets does he offer. And being able to play in various positions and various tactics and styles I think that's a quality in itself that maybe he doesn't possess, that other players do possess, that maybe we're overlooking. Yeah, I, 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 guess I see what you're saying. Yes, he has performed very well over the past year or so, but wasn't even getting a look in under Frank Lampard when I think primarily they were operating a back four. And only when Tuchel came in and they went to a back three, did Rudiger really start showcasing these high levels of performances so that's a fair assessment i do think it's still a very small sample size of him playing in a back four like he plays in a back four for germany i think he's all right again it was a friendly against the, the netherlands but i think he did okay again i think it's just a one-off game for both silva and um rudiger but i see your point though yeah i don't i mean i'm not necessarily agreeing with that point either i'm just raising the question but we will see with time. Time will tell us the answer as to whether or not that was just a blip or he really is a system defender. Let's move on to 
Burnley versus Manchester City at Turf Moor. We anticipated a <laughs> smashing. I'm sure many other people did as well. We were far off on the scoreline. But this match was based on, especially the stats, very one-sided. And that's, that's really what we expected. Yeah, yeah. It was a total domination from the Man City team, which is what we expected. We, we do see oftentimes where they kind of go into their second, third gear, Man City, just because they're that good. You know, they can afford to do that, especially against a side like Burnley. I know they're fighting to survive, but they just don't have the quality, you know. They, don't, they haven't spent enough over the past six, seven years that they were here in, in the Premier League. I know they went and bought um, Vyakorst and all that, but Man City is just too much. I think if Man City kept their kept pushing and pushing, they easily could have scored four or five. Before you go on to the Liverpool game, I think it is important to point out that Liverpool played, I think, two, three hours prior to Man City's kickoff. And Liverpool were in, in first place uh, after that game. And Kevin De Bruyne's first goal in, I think, the first five minutes or so. And then Gundogan to really seal the win almost, um, the second goal came in like the 22nd, 23rd minute. I think it really helped settle Man City. Not that they needed that necessarily, just because they're they're capable of producing a 5-0 thrashing any week. But, you know, it just kind of eased them into the game a little bit. That's why they were able to even go to the second gear. Um, whereas if, if it, you know, if it was kept at nil-nil for the first half, we might we may be talking about a different result here. Right, it's always dangerous to leave it till late to settle the game, especially against these types of teams. Burnley's the type of team that if you're only up 1-0 or if it's nil all, they could definitely get a snatch and grab off a set piece. That is exactly their bread and butter right there. That is how they literally plan out to get results against these teams. And if you don't be careful and you don't, maintain that margin that like you say essentially seals the win you're always gonna be left with that threat at the end of the match so that is very well done by them when you really think about it and i think pep is very aware of those those threats and does well to respect the opposition in that regard yeah i mean you could say burnley kind of suit man city's playing style um burnley don't necessarily have those pacey wingers or even an attacking outlet that, you know, the likes of Spurs or even Watford do, you know, and that is really, um, you could say it's been their kryptonite for, for as long as Pep Guardiola has been here. That is true. Speaking of Watford, moving on to that match, I think they, they went into this one with exactly what you just mentioned was their strength, which is hitting on the counter-attack. That's really the best, most effective way that they are going to beat a team like Liverpool. You'd expect to be high intensity, high pressure, just totally working the opposition as much as they can, flowing attacks constantly. Really, it's about catching them with their high line on the breakaway, trying to just take advantage and exploit the space when the time is right. And they have the pace to do so. Ismael Sar was getting on the counter a couple of times. 
And that type of pace is always going to be dangerous in those situations. I thought Watford, I mean, we, we both said there will be thrashings in both games, but I thought Watford done well to kind of organize themselves, but also create a few half chances, I would say. I wouldn't necessarily call them a clear goal-scoring opportunities. Overall, I thought they were okay. Not the terrible self that we saw, even at Old Trafford a few weeks back. In the end, Liverpool just have a little too much from Watford. That's what it comes down to at this level. Liverpool and City, especially out of other teams, as we know, they tend to almost pressure you so much to the point where you can't handle anymore. It's about how yeah. long can you endure this level of constant flowing pressure throughout the match. And eventually, you're just going to crack. It's just natural. Liverpool just have the quality to be able to break it down to the point where they're going to get that goal some way, somehow. And Jota, wow, again. And another header. Very impressive. Yeah, that man needs to be studied on or something he's not a he's not a peter crouch but he's scoring headers left right center what 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 is it about him any header experts and let us know in the comments because i really can't wrap my head around it i i I don't understand how he does it that man's movement is unbelievable he's second to none with just the timing of his runs the way he's able to understand the space to get into to be in the moment in the right time right place it's very impressive and very few players have that, that quality, that IQ. That is what separates great players from just good, good average players. We've seen it in the past. All the best strikers have this. This is what makes a man like Cristiano Ronaldo so great. His movement, his attacking positioning, the, the IQ to know when to get to the space, when to move there. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I'd really, I want to see how he progresses, how long he can keep this up. Because he's looking real good at the moment. That's a good explanation right there. They they have wonderful crosses of the ball, uh, Liverpool, in both the fullbacks, combined with the great movements. Yeah, that could be why he's scoring so many headers. Because even Joe Gomez, a filling right back, has come in and right. played an excellent cross. So hats off to them. They're annoying me, but <laughs> so it go at the moment. Not great, but these two sides that we're seeing, are, it's just something else. You know, I saw a stat the other day. Over the past four seasons, I believe, they've accumulated close to 400 points each. And the third team is obviously way below that. To keep that consistency up for four, three, four seasons is just incredible. I know both Man City and Liverpool had their season off, I guess you could call it, where they were kind of falling off. But to really bounce back from that, it's really credit to them. I don't want to, you know, have to praise them so much. But we've never seen this before and we might never see it again. It just sucks that it's Man City and Liverpool, but whatever. Hats off to them. Moving on to the next match on the weekend. This is what Wansak doesn't want to talk about at the moment, but <laughs> let's let's hear it from him. I know everybody wants to hear from the Man United man himself, so let's get to it. I wish we started this last year so I could hear you. <laughs> and, um, but... I mean, where, where do I even start? I'm not angry. I'm not hurt. I'm not annoyed. I mean, I'm a little. Oh, annoyed. don't lie! Don't lie! It's okay. I'm a, I'm a little annoyed. I'll 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 leave it at that. Just just because Leicester have been so poor. I know they just got their defensive unit back for our game. I've already kind of mentally checked out 
And it looks like so have the players. There are definitely some players who still want to play for something, whether it be the top four, a next contract, or a move to a different club, whatever it is. I think it's that one. I think it's a latter. <laughs> whatever it is, I'm not accusing every single player on the team of giving up, but you can't get consistent results with even half of the team caring about you know, what's going on in the field. And I'll be surprised if it was half the field or half the team on the field that really cared about what's happening. I mean, where do you even go from here? You know, I, I said in the last um, preview episode, bringing in a manager isn't going to fix things. I'm not, I'm not alone in saying that. Not just because we've had one of the best managers in David Moyes, Louis van Gaal. I don't know if you would put Jose Mourinho there, but it needs to shift from its, its way high up in the hierarchy. From, from the outside looking in, we, we criticize the manager um, just because he's the one that's, you know, the voice of the club. We don't hear the owners or the CEOs or the directors coming out and giving an interview before every game. It, it, that's the manager's job. He's kind of the one that's made the scapegoat of, you know, the situation of the club. That's why we've had to go through three, four managers. And it's obvious that whatever manager comes in, they're not the problem. We could go on and get the best manager in the world, nobody will be, will be able to tell you that if he's going to be able to succeed because that's just a state of affairs. I was actually reading an article about how Man City was able to capture Pep Guardiola in 2016. If you remember United and City, they were both going for a manager. And in the end, we, we know what happened. The way they got Pep Guardiola was they were almost building the club to lure Pep Guardiola in. So they brought in Cheeky Begaristian. I think that's how you say his name. He was the old director from Barcelona and they almost replicated the Barcelona model to the point where Pep Guardiola was almost guaranteed to succeed here just because that structure that he wanted was already built. And you compare that to what we used to have with uh, Ed Woodward as the CEO. I know there's you know some changes going on right now, but who knows? Like, How can I have faith in those changes when the club still is in charge of the Glazers? I'm not going to ask him to sell the club. That's, I don't think I'm in the place to say that. Ideally, that's what I would like to happen. But it's their, it's their asset. It's their money. It's their decision. I, I'm, I'm not in a position to tell them, leave and sell the club. But unless something, needs, unless something changes from that level up and it gets passed down all the way to the managerial and the staff level, I don't see anything changing, really. I don't mind if we keep it that way, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's just me, you know? But Just kind of going back to the game, I thought the first half was... I thought I, thought I was watching a friendly, preseason friendly. No tempo to the game whatsoever. Second half still came out slow. No plan, no tempo again. The first goal, I mean, I mentioned that to watch out for the fullbacks in the preview episode. I'm going to be honest here. I think Talese might be the worst fullback I've ever seen play for United. This guy can't pass. He can't dribble. He's weak. He can't defend. He can't hit the ball. It's not the first time I've seen him lose his runner and we concede from it. I know it was a great cross in from Madison. It was a great header from Kelech Iannaccio as well. I bring this up because it's not the first time I've seen him lose his marker. It must be at least fifth, sixth, seventh time that this has happened. And he's just so unreliable defensively. And his only above average attribute is his dead ball skills. And we simply haven't used that because whatever the reason is, we're just not 
performing to our levels in you know set piece conversions. I mean, it was just very poor, poor defending. Take nothing away from the cross and the finish, but could have been prevented. I think the response was okay. We did score. Um, it was a missed control from Bruno Fernandez. Schmeichel again. That's what I don't rate about Schmeichel. He and Loris, they both, in my opinion, parry the ball away to the danger zone too often. I might be being harsh here, but if he parries the ball away even a little bit wider, Fred doesn't get the ball. It wasn't an easy chance for Fred because there was really only one place for him to, you know, really aim the goal at, which was high, and he did that. It was a great finish, but Schmeichel should be doing better there. He should be either turning it around for a corner, or I don't even think there was that much pace on the ball, and it wasn't that he had he didn't have to stretch that much to to really reach that ball. He should be really grabbing that, in my opinion. But I'm not a goalkeeping expert. I know some people were talking about the foul on Varane leading up to the disallowed goal against Madison. I thought it was a foul, and I know yeah. that you're gonna say that it was a foul as well. Can you at least hear the other side of the argument? No, I, I really can't. I mean, that's a foul. Fair enough. I I think it was a foul, but I can I can hear why pe- why people would be frustrated at that. If that makes sense. No, I think it's a foul. <laughs> yeah, and as we say, as we both know, foul is a foul at the end of the day. At least it should be viewed as such. If the referees would just be consistent across the board, but. They clearly aren't, but in my opinion, fall is a fall at the end of the day. Who impressed me in this match was Harvey Barnes. And to me, it's not the first time he's impressed me. I think he is really trying to get a spot in the World Cup squad to some degree. Because he's, I don't know, I think he adds a lot of dynamism to the squad. He's fast, he dribbles at players very well, takes them on, he creates a lot of chances. And he can score a goal when needed. He has a good shot on goal. I'm not going to say he's the most clinical player in the world or he's a top-quality finisher. I'm not saying that. But he's a very dynamic winger who has a goal in him. And he can create a lot of chances just with his energy, even if it's for a... if it has a super sub. Yeah. I, I, if I had to pick one player from Leicester to... Uh, for me to really advocate for him to go to the World Cup would be Madison. No, I agree um, with that. Oh, well, yeah. We know that England rely a lot on set pieces to score their goals. Um, like even Gareth Southgate has spoken about it himself, how he, you know, studies other sports to really come up with those um, set piece strategies. And I know, I know they have Trippier, uh, but I think Trippier is more of like a direct free kick kind of guy. Um, even Trent as well, um, to really be able to handle those, um, you know, set pieces. But, but what if Trent doesn't fit the game game plan for, for a specific game? I, I think it's never a bad idea to have different options as your set piece takers. And what, what how much better can you get than Madison? I know he didn't really show his set piece taking specialties this game, but we know what he can do in a dead ball situation. I know he hasn't really been getting a look in recently, but like you said, even as a sub, I think he's he'll be a good option to bring. And now that it's going to be 26 men, not just 23, an even better chance. Yeah, for sure. Definitely in regards to set-piece specialist, Madison brings that. My problem, though, I disagree there with bringing all of the set-piece specialists. I believe if you can 
find two or three max, maybe one or two ideally, I think that's the right number because you'd rather have varying skills, I believe, going into something like the World Cup where it's cup matches. You may need something completely different bringing off the bench. You may want a set-piece specialist, but then you may want a pacey player or you may want a defensive player. It's all about seeing out each game like a final. And I think when you have two common skill sets in the camp, then you're not having any variety. If you need that plan B, you don't have a plan B. And I'm not saying Harvey Barnes is the only player who has this skill in the England squad or in the England pool, I should say. He's using these skill sets very well and he's causing opponents a lot of trouble. And I think that could go a long way in the World Cup. Because look at set-piece specialists that England have. They have James Ward-Prowse. You just mentioned Trent. You just mentioned Trippier and James Madison. It's already four just off the top of our head. And those are not just everyday set-piece takers. These are arguably some of the best set-piece takers in the world right now. If you were to name a top 10, they would probably all be in there or around there at least. I mean, who else can you think of that is stand out better set-piece specialists than those four players? Put, put it in the comments. Let us know. Being able to name four in one country, that to me is crazy. And we are going to talk a little bit more about the World Cup in our World Cup group stage reaction. So make sure to tune into that. Yeah, viewers, let us know if you think any of Harvey Barnes or Madison should be in the England World Cup squad. Just some last comments going back to the game. Like I said in the, I think it was our, one of our first podcast episodes, the, the depth on the bench, how you complained about Arsenal's lack of depth. I think I countered that by saying not neither Tottenham. I mean, maybe Tottenham are a little better, but neither Tottenham nor United have a significantly stronger bench. And we saw that today. Rashford, he did very well in the last chance to... We don't really see that with him. Quick feet and tight spaces to make that space. And guess what tackles him? Elanga. Um, I think that really... <laughs> you can't really blame, blame the kid for that. You know, he sees the goal and the ball falls to him. I think that really sums up the season. We brought on Rashford and Matic, they don't convince you that they're going to get you goals when you need them. And that was uh, really evident there. I mean, I, I, it might be hindsight, but I don't think we should have started with Pogba and Bruno up top again. Maybe hindsight, maybe not. But the draw happened and we can move on. Already depressing enough. Another competitor for the top four, Tottenham thrashed Newcastle 5-1, which is, I don't, I don't think we expected that really, 5-1. It looked like it was going to be another frustrating day for, for Spurs, especially combined with the fact that Lloris concedes a very soft free kick. He should have saved that, I think. Again, maybe I'm being harsh. Ben Davis, what a header. <laughs> you know, the, Harry Kane would have been proud of that. And they, they pretty much killed the game by coming out really strong in the second half. Honestly, fuck Tottenham. I hate them. But the result is impressive. I have to give that to them. I always try and be as unbiased as possible. 
as possible, just to reiterate that. But can't complain with a 5-1 if you are a Tottenham fan. So regardless of who it is that you're playing. And Newcastle have been on the rise recently. I know they're battling for relegation, but they've been stringing up some good points recently. And you could argue that they are the favorites to stay up out of that battle. I think they're already out of the battle, you have to say. The way that Watford, Burnley and Norwich are going about their games. I think Newcastle are pretty much already out of that conversation. Right. So maybe you could argue that that's why they eased up in this match. They felt as though this was something that they could get away with. They got a bit complacent, potentially. However, they did score the free kick early. So I don't know. Well, I I just think that after the second goal, they kind of lost their way. They kind of reverted back to their old self. First half, very tight very well organized and second half they can see pretty cheap goal from a terrible free kick from the goal scorer and i think that's where they really kind of crumbled if i may say um but i think we have to talk about harry kane that cross was delightful could it could have felt to both son and it, it fell to doherty in the end the third goal i think it was scored by son like the commentator said he could have easily played that that through ball to Son, which would have been offside. But his awareness to, to slow the game down and then find in return Kulosevsky on the on the outside, he could play anywhere. He's just that good. Not just as a striker. I mean, we all know about his finishing, but his game making or playmaking ability is second to none. Even among you know the top cams like Odegaard, Kevin De Bruyne, Bruno Fernandez, and all them. I hate to admit it, but he has proven me wrong. That's something that I had asked of him as far as proving to me that all this talk about him is worthy was I had called on him to step up his link-up play, step up his playmaking. And he he truly has. And it pisses me off. When is this guy going to move to Real Madrid, bro? Or just get the fuck out of Tottenham some way, somehow. This is too much. Him and Son, but mostly him. He's pissing me off. I'm just interested to see, will he carry this into the World Cup? We'll see. It's tough because the World Cup is in, in November this year. So right in the mid-season, um, we, don't, we don't get to say the usual narrative of, oh, Di Maria had a great season and he won Real Madrid, the Champions League. He's going to carry this performance into the World Cup. We have to. We still have six months to go. Till the World Cup. But history will tell you that he will perform in the World Cup. For him, it looks like it doesn't matter when, what time, what time of the year, don't matter. What's the weather outside? Like, literally doesn't doesn't matter. Nothing. But boy, I will tell you this. I'm still not worried, though. Because I feel like Tottenham, as they always do, they have a slip-up in them. They do. You could say the same thing about Arsenal. You definitely could. But if I'm looking at the two of them as a neutral, I'm more, I'm more leaning towards Arsenal just because we have a lot more of a stable look about us. With Tottenham, it feels like, yes, they are performing and they have games where they look very impressive. But they, they seem to lack that stability to be consistent where you can rely on them in every game, no doubt. You know, obviously, Arsenal's history... In the past, we'll show you that there's always room for a slip-up. 
always there's always that disappointment when you're not expecting it and then the downfall happens and then everybody starts asking the questions again and then we rise back up well i think if you're just looking at the season you would have to, as a neutral you would have to say arsenal are still the favorites just because they've been able to consistently get results at, at least at home and it looks like even away from home in, in the recent weeks they're grinding out the, the wins they might not be performing to their to their best of ability but they're grinding out the wins like we saw um, as most recently against Villa Arsenal would start to be the favorites that North London derby is looking cracking to say the least which brings us to the last game of the weekend Crystal Palace against Arsenal how, how do you think the game went obviously very poor from Arsenal but I do want to give Crystal Palace some credit actually a lot of credit because I think they played exceptionally well their press was very good they were very intense throughout the whole game and they also have quality talent on the field Zaha again showing me especially because I'm a I'm a big I'm a big Zaha fan uh, in the sense of I think he's a very good player not necessarily that I'm a fan of him per se but I do admire him as a player and he showed up again as he usually does against us always causing trouble very skillful and i think he drove the rest of the team with that as well arsenal on the other hand were just poor and that is on the whole team but obviously we were hurt at left back without tierney tavares stepping in was costly at the end of the day really missed tierney i felt like but not just in that area, I felt like other players as well didn't step up when they could have. Again, I asked the question of party. I felt like I bring this up a good amount in our reviews and previews about party and Arsenal. I feel I feel like he's not completely set out to be this player that's a deep line playmaker who can string passes consistently. Like maybe you would say like a Madrid or a Verratti could. And I think that he got found out today from a team that was very intense, very energetic, and they were pressing a lot. Where in other matches, he may never necessarily got found out as they weren't at the level that Crystal Palace are playing at. And I don't know if this is... I feel as though Arsenal fans... I don't know if, obviously, I don't know if Arteta is feeling like this, but we are looking to party so that he can become our next Vieira. And I just think that that's just a level of nostalgia that we're dealing with right there. And we need to accept that party, although he is a great player, he's a completely different person and player altogether than Vieira. I think as Arsenal fans... We need to not look at party to recreate everything that Vieira is or he was for Arsenal. Rather, we need to look at him as his own individual player and try to make make best of his qualities. I think his ball winning is exceptional, which I think even today he showed 
that he's still showing strong in that area. Yes, there were a couple of times he gave away fouls. However, again, I think credit to Crystal Palace for playing well. But you saw in so many areas, especially leading up to the, the last goal from the penalty, he just gets caught in possession. He just doesn't have the technical ability to just take the ball, compose, and play it out. I feel like he he can do it, but he doesn't do it consistently enough. And for me, that's where the problem lies. That's where he's going to get found out. Too many of his touches and passes become 50-50s when they don't have to be. And today you saw him misplace a lot of passes as well, besides just that last moment for the or that moment for the last goal where he obviously lost possession and it led to the penalty so that was a key area for me hopefully he though he does come back fit because he's gonna be a big miss or he's not hopefully he's not out for too long so and then obviously tyranny i'm hearing news that it is he's out for the season which is a big miss because, as you saw today, without him, we basically capitulated. So hopefully he's going to come back stronger, he's going to be okay or comes back before schedule because without him, it seemed like we're just missing all of the organization. Nobody setting the tone. It It seems like that. Maybe in the game, it doesn't feel like Tierney is doing all of that, but you could see without him, we just looked a completely different side. I mean, that's the thing with Tierney. His ability is undeniable. It's there. He's a great left back or even a left center back in a back three. But as I often say, the, but your best ability is your availability. And Tierney so often has not proven that, not just his Arsenal days, but during his Celtic days as well. Yeah, like you said, I thought Tavares was poor pretty much at fault for the first two goals. Arsenal, I thought they started okay until they conceded that cheap free kick goal where Tavares just ducked out of the header, which is just mind-boggling. I thought they faltered under the pressure, under the lights. Now we have to see if it's because they've just come back from an international break, which we know um, we saw with Chelsea teams the first game after the international break they sometimes do have these games or the pressure is really starting to build on them combined with the fact that Tottenham thrashed Newcastle 5-1 now Arsenal are in a position they've never been in at least with these youngsters that they've um, recently bred into the team so we have to see if it was just a one-off it was a poor performance but we have to see if it was just a one-off today or if it continues. Thankfully, the next two games aren't too difficult. Um, I think Brighton is the next game. And if Arsenal don't bounce back, I, I could really see the pressure ramping up on them and them slipping even more. Yeah, for sure. It was always the threat because, as we know, it's always we're up one time, we're down one time. It's a big roller coaster, always. I do also want to mention that I know I did kind of criticize the Partiana Tavares mostly, but I do want to highlight as well, Smithrow and Odegaard had a couple of chances in the attacking end, and I really felt like they should have put those away. And 
not just them, but the attacking front on a whole, I felt was lacking. They were really just offering nothing. Lacazette was pretty much missing throughout the game. And I think it's important to recognize that we didn't really create that many clear-cut chances, to be fair. And that is down to the attacking players. They weren't, they weren't offering enough. And this, the couple of chances that we did get, they really have to put those away. I understand Smithrow's first chance because it kind of fell to him very unexpectedly. So he had to take a quick swipe at it. It was quick. It. Yeah, it was quick. Right, it was very quick. Odegaard, on the other hand, the, we're expecting the ball to come to him. You know that it's coming from the wing. This is a training routine, classic, how we've scored several goals this season. Many of our goals have come like this, actually. The ball is cut back. You have you and you're facing the goal. You have to at least hit the target and you really got to put that away. And then Smithrow's second chance where, sure, it was pretty much game over at this point, but the ball falls to him very kindly, takes a volley with his left foot, and he's hitting the defender. In my opinion, he's just shooting rashly to get a shot off at the goal. Hats off to him for at least getting into on target, because I will always say, you know, you have to get your shots on target, and he did get his shot on target. But he, he at, at this level, or what, what his potential is, he has to really be getting that shot dangerously on target. He should be really testing the keeper. He should be scoring. I have a more sympathy for Smith Rowe because more often than not, he is scoring those chances. Whereas Odegaard more often than not gets into these positions and misses. And I'm not saying Odegaard can't fix this aspect of his game because I did call on him to fix his passing consistency in the matches. And he has done that for sure. So I'm backing him to fix this aspect of his game. But if Arsenal is to grow and he's to grow in Arsenal, that is an aspect of his game that needs to improve. I mean, that, that is the difference. I won't, I won't include Liverpool in this because they don't really have a center attacking mid like, like most teams do. But if you look at the likes of Man City, Kevin De Bruyne, I know he sits a little deeper than Odegaard, but he creates but also scores. Even Gundogan, even I know he's he's even more deep, um, but he he's he's pretty clinical. Uh, might be a bad example, but Bruno, up until last season, you know he was contributing on both ends, and United were coming in third, second. In that system where Arteta asks the likes of Odegaard, midfield players, to get into the box and attack the crosses, if Odegaard is not there, I mean, if even if he's there, he's not there to finish off those chances. It's it's a problem, and he, he does need to improve that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but they do rely a lot on crosses coming in. I thought the both centre-backs for Crystal Palace were very solid today, contained Lacazette. And in the second half, really, they just they sat back to keep that two-goal lead and really kill the game off with that penalty. We have relied a lot on crosses in the past. I would say up to quite recently... I've seen Arteta try to ask of the team to orchestrate things through the middle, through intricate plays and one-twos and such. And I noticed that today, we only really started to do that efficiently towards like 
the last 10 minutes after the third goal scored. And yes, you're right. In the past, we have, we have seen Arsenal rely a lot on crosses, especially in desperate moments like that. So it was nice to see a change up today to see that when we are really trying to break down opposition, we have, it seems, a lot more intricacy with the one-twos trying to penetrate through the middle. However, you can see that the quality, especially at the end there, and obviously at 3-0 is game over, we were lacking the quality to truly break open the defence, I think, at that moment. And a lot of that comes down to Lacazette. Again, I felt he was very quiet. The whole attacking front line, honestly, Saka, Lacazette, they were quiet. And Lacazette is someone who you'd call on to provide that clean touch, the link-up play to unlock the defence, to allow a runner, Smithrow or Odegaard or Saka for that matter, Martinelli when he came on, threw in on goal. And he just was not providing it. None of the passes were sticking. I think today it's just a little too intricate. There there are games with these with these so-called big teams where they try to be too intricate when sometimes Route 1 is, is the best way to attack teams. And in this case, Palace were very much sat back deep into their own half. Even the likes of Man City will struggle, and they did. They they couldn't score against Crystal Palace um, to really break down these, these kind of teams with just intricate sets of passes. So I would have liked to have seen you know, something more different, but I'm not sure if that even would have worked just because of how well the center halves and you know, even Milivojevic coming in in the second half. They were really solid defense throughout the whole game, really, for them. But, yeah, it's going to feel like a missed opportunity for, for Arsenal. You have Tottenham. There's still a game at hand for Arsenal, but now level on points, but a lot more behind in terms of the goal difference. Chelsea lost, but couldn't close the gap on them. Still stays at five points now. Next weekend, we have a very exciting game coming up. Going to be the title showdown, pretty much. We will be previewing that on this coming Friday. For this week, we have a somewhat different schedule. Uh, so in terms of the normal advancement topic that gets released on Wednesdays, we have uh, our reaction to the World Cup draw that happened on Friday of last week. We give our thoughts on who will be qualifying for the next round um, and also a deeper dive into some of the countries, for example, England and the debate on their manager, Gareth Southgate. So please join us for that on Wednesday. And as always, thank you for tuning into our review show. Peace. Peace.